1: Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. Now, today we have an international media guru. Uh, and I say that because he is a media coach for many people around the world and a previous BBC uh, announcer and still does a little bit of radio work. Please welcome to the show, Alan Stevens. Hey, Warwick. Good to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, as I ask all of my guests as we, vary, as we start, how do you define success? I think
0: success, well, a lot of it is to do with being happy, I think. I think if you're, if you're happy and you've got happy people around you, I think that's a, a large measure of success. I think it's, I think it's being comfortable, uh, not having to worry about uh, financial things or, or any other form of stress. But to me, and certainly as far as my family is concerned, as far as my, my daughter is concerned, I think being happy. Uh, is, the, is the greatest measure that, uh, that I could that I could have of success. So if I'm happy, I'm successful and vice versa.
1: Fantastic. Now, is it true that your daughter's living in Australia at the moment? Is that right?
0: She was. She's just come back, actually. She's been in um, at La Trobe University, Melbourne, for six months. Right. Uh, doing a, uh, she's doing a film degree and she spent the, the semester, the, um, the, the second half of the year in, in Melbourne. Trying to had a, a, a wonderful time. Absolutely
1: loved it. A bit of warm weather. Oh, yeah. So, so tell me about some of the successes that you've had in your business. Like you're, you're on the BBC, you were um, Mm -hmm. reporting all over the place. You've met some dignitaries. Tell me a little bit about how, what are some of the success that you've achieved in your business that's made you happy? uh, Mm -hmm. And how have you been able to achieve that?
0: Well, I've, I've been very successful. I mean, you know, it's that other thing about you know, being very lucky, but you, know, you often make your own luck, don't you? Because you've got to take opportunities. And that's, that's what they say about luck. It's where opportunity makes preparedness. And I've always felt that I'm very prepared. You know, I've, I've always worked very hard. I've always had a very strong work ethic. But I think it's also the fact that I've, I've tried to do various things. I mean, like many people who've been successful, however you define that, um, I've always had a go at things. I mean... Mm-hmm when I got involved in the speaking profession, I decided that it would be important to throw myself into it. So I got myself on the, the board of my national association here in the UK. Within 18 months, I was national president. Uh, three years later, I was president of the global federation. So, and I think that was just because I was the person sitting there when everybody else stepped back. <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of it is about being there. Woody Allen used to say it's 90% of success is turning up. Yeah. So I, I think, a lot of it is, is just being prepared to, to do things that other people are maybe not prepared to do. Um, but certainly with regard to to my my career in, in terms of being the media coach, what I do is work with lots of global organizations because I've chosen to do that. I think in the business that we're in as speakers and, and coaches and consultants, we can choose our niche. We can choose, or niche if you're American. Uh, we can choose where where we work. I choose to work in luxury hotels. Uh, I choose to work with multinational organisations, and I I choose to work with people that I like, um, and that's that's worked pretty well for me. I, I have to tell you that's a, so. So I think in terms of success, I think what I've done, I've I've decided what I I feel success is, and then I've just thought, well, that's the way I'm going to go. Okay,
1: so now it's one thing to say I, I choose to work for these big big yes. names and big companies. The next step is, right, I've made the choice. I've actually got to do the work to get there. Absolutely. Uh, and so what are some of the things that you've had to do to be able to make that choice come to life? Well, I mean,
0: essentially, I mean, the main thing that, that I do and the thing that we do, the personal speakers do is to demonstrate value. Uh, I think what you've got to do is to find some value that you will leave behind. A lot of people think that people who are speakers and consultants and so on, get paid for the work they do when they're actually physically with a client. My view is we get paid for what we leave behind. We get paid for the afters. So I've always focused on what happens several months after I've worked with somebody. If I've made a difference to them and they've either reduced their costs or they've increased their income, I've been successful because they've been successful. And then I go back to them three months later or six months later or even a year and say, what changed for you? And if they tell me that, that it was that, I then go and do that with somebody else. And in fact, I use that as a pitch
1: to my next client. I so say when you, I work so with us. Sorry, go, go ahead. So do you, uh, do you have measures for that in terms of, do you set up an yep. expectation with the client in terms of right, what are your current statistics on sales or media exposure or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're working them on and then go back and measure that afterwards? I do. I do. We, and you know, I, I always look at the metrics. And sometimes... In terms of things
0: like, like PR and, and media coverage, it's quite hard to do. Um, it's quite hard to put a figure on that, and it's sometimes hard to measure. There are measures you can use. But in terms of reputation, which is my main area, you know, focusing on building and protecting reputations, there are metrics you can use. You can look at, uh, you can look at brand awareness. Uh, you can look at how people perceive your brand. Uh, you can look at the, uh, the bits of feedback that you get. You, you can analyze the social media chat. You know, there are various tools you can use for that. So there are all sorts of measures that you can use. And if I go and intervene in a particular way, we can then look at that later on and say, how did that change? And we do set targets and hopefully most of the
1: time we achieve them. <laughs> hey, so with, you've raised the point of reputation management and that's, hmm. that's getting more challenging now with yes. everyone getting access to the internet and saying whatever they like, regardless of whether it's true or not. Sure, so, sure. so for some of the businesses or people who run businesses who might be listening to this, what are hmm. some of the keys to maintain good brand reputation?
0: Well, it's, it's the same as it's always been really Warwick. And that is to treat your customers and your clients. Well, mm-hmm. in fact, treat them better than they expected to be treated. Uh, and that thing about, um, under-promising and over-delivering is, has always been true because what's, what's happened now is that we're in this situation where people don't really believe what brands say about themselves. Mm. Uh, they don't believe what we say about ourselves. They, they believe testimonials, but more than that, they go and ask somebody. Uh, they ask their friends. It's much easier to do now that we've got the internet. And if, I mean, Google have, have produced a wonderful book called ZMOT, ZMOT, which is all about what they call the zero moment of truth. The first time people make a decision to use a service to buy a product is when they talk to their friends online. Uh, When they get on WhatsApp or they they get on Facebook or or something and they say, I need to buy something, what's what's a good thing to buy? So for companies, what they've got to do is to get advocates. They've got to get people advocating their products and advocating their services.
1: So what happens when something goes wrong? Like It seems to be more and more now that and it might be something minor. It might be something major in Australia We've had hmm. an issue recently with one of the beer companies having yeah. some poor advertising happening and they've been aligned hmm. with something which they may not have needed to do. So yeah. how do you recover from bad feedback? That's, that's a good one. And I mean, I, I always say to
0: people firstly, come out with your hands up. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first thing is you've got to come out and say, oops, we made a mistake. We got this wrong. We are sorry. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. We're going to fix it quickly. We're going to make sure that anyone who's been affected doesn't suffer. We're going to overcompensate people who feel that they lost out. You've got to do that very quickly. The key to this is speed, and the key to it is taking responsibility. And the thing that always kills people, whether they're politicians or beer companies or anybody else, is not fixing it quickly, trying to cover it up, and then it gradually filters out what actually went wrong.
1: Right.
0: Um, and that's, that's always the point at which things break down and where people have to resign and, and companies fail. So my advice is if you, if you make a mistake, which we all do from time to time, come out with your hands up, admit your error, apologize and fix it.
1: And, and most people, if you make a mistake and acknowledge it and fix it, the loyalty actually increases because they're like, we know we're human and businesses make mistakes. They're, they're absolutely right. There are,
0: many, Warwick, there are many statistics on that where, where people have looked at organizations making a mistake and then fixing it, and then getting more loyalties. Right, well. and there's all there's that old, that old phrase about if if you, if somebody complains and you resolve their complaint, they become more loyal than someone who's never complained. Right, and it does make sense. It, it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but it actually makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I just want to talk quickly because you are the media coach uh, about politicians in the media. It mm. seems that things have changed now in that uh, politicians will come and basically there'll be. The grab, there's a one sentence they want the media to use, so they use it over and Mm -hmm. over again. Um, So many times you see a politician interviewed never answering a question. Mm -hmm. So from a business owner, if we get a media opportunity, where's the balance between pushing our own agenda and actually being a real person and answering the questions that are being asked of us?
0: Well, I always say to my clients that a, a media interview is an opportunity for you to deliver a message. Um, So there is an extent to which you you do kind of know the answer to the question before you're asked, which sounds rather weird. Um, And there's a technique which I'm sure you know and I'm sure you talk to people about called bridging, where you, you take the question, you bridge across to the answer you want to give and then bridge back to the original question again. If you do that cleverly and successfully, then your message does get across. But the other thing I say to people is that you've also got to be honest. You don't have to tell everybody everything you know but you've got to be honest. People have, got, have lost a lot of faith in authority. They've lost faith in politicians. They've lost faith in the media, unfortunately. And I, I find that quite upsetting because I've been in the media 40 years and I was a local politician as well for 10 years. And, you know, so I, I've, I've got a reputation issue myself <laughs> to overcome. Um, but I think if, if, we're, if we're honest and if we're clear, and particularly clarity is very, very important about using simple words and simple terms and putting things in context, in, in in the context of the audience, and that's you know so you're you're on stage a lot, so you, you you understand this perfectly. That you've got to put things in phrases the audience the audience would use and understand. You've got to get inside their heads, and the same applies to broadcast media as it as it does to to when we're on stage.
1: So, with this communicating, I've heard it said many times: you've got to make it easy for the to, for the listener to understand and use simple mm. words. At what stage are we? do we challenge our audience as well? Because I've always been a fan of the show, The West Wing, and I love the way Jet Bartlett came oh, across as a very smart yeah. and intellectual yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. And I see that a lot of people sort of, it feels like they're dumbing down a message versus going, mm. I can say it simply, but still have a level of intellect or it's okay to actually have an extensive mm. vocabulary. So how do we project that? the complexity of an individual or a business or show our smartness without dumbing down too much?
0: Well, I I think, in fact, I'm sure you can explain complex concepts in simple language. And the the datum, the baseline that I always advise my clients is use the language of a 12-year-old. And the first time they hear that, they think, well, that's a little bit simple, isn't it? That's talking down to people. But actually, it isn't. Um, 12-year-olds these days are very articulate. Mm-hmm. They they speak extremely well, but you don't have to use complicated phrases. You can introduce you know some some reasonable vocabulary. Twelve year olds, you know, twelve year old reading age is, is pretty good, but provided you you stick to that level, you should be able to explain the concept. And I would say to people, you need to rehearse explaining what your ideas are in that kind of twelve year old language. Uh, it does work. Um, I mean, if you look at tabloid newspapers, they use seven-year-old language. Mm. So for goodness sake, you know, you, you, and they can get away with explaining a fair amount. <laughs> but, uh, but the broadsheets you know, and, and websites, they use 12-year-old language. So we use it all the time.
1: Right. It's interesting you talk about rehearsal. So as a mm-hmm. media coach and a speaker coach, and, and I know you've written books on it as well, mm-hmm. how important is rehearsal to getting your message across? There's some people who think, oh, I can wing it. And they yeah. look like, I yeah. know what I'm talking about. It's fine. Yeah. And then there's others who look so rehearsed that it's like I've got every second down. You know, I know exactly. So, how important is rehearsal, and is there such a thing as over rehearsal?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Rick. There is such a thing as over rehearsal. Um, if you over you you start to sound robotic, uh, as though you don't you don't mean what you say. And I I always say to people that you need to rehearse several times, three or four times, maybe is is about right. So don't have the exact words that you're going to say. Know what you're going to say, but don't know the exact words that you're going to use when you say it. So it's more about it being absolutely clear what message you want to deliver and how you want to say that. If you learn your words like an actor, you become an actor. And we're not actors. Politicians shouldn't be actors. Speakers shouldn't be actors. Communicators should not be actors. So sometimes you will need to learn phrases. For example, when we open or close a speech, when you open or close an event, I know you do a terrific amount of MC work, you're a brilliant MC. You you probably have some phrases that you use that you've rehearsed because they're going to work. Yes. But in between that, you're going to not exactly ad lib, or maybe you you do at certain times, but you're going to have something you want to, a feeling you want to get across or, or something you need to say, and you haven't rehearsed the words verbatim. Uh, so I think there's, it's a balance, obviously, but I would say you rehearse enough so that you know you're going to be able to deliver the right message, but not so much that you deliver it in exactly the same words every time.
1: Right. So as a speaker yourself, what's been some of the, the big successes that you've done? I was speaking to uh, in a previous interview with a guy who spoke mm. to an audience of 10,000 people. Uh, Lisa B. Smith spoke to 35,000 people. Do you count mm. success in terms of the number of people that you're speaking to or is it more the impact that you're having? How do you, how do you measure that as a speaker for yourself?
0: No, I, no, I don't measure. I, I yeah, Honestly, it's a, yeah. Speakers when I get together, I often compare audience size. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things that, and it's not only men that do that. We all do that. We all, yeah. all do how your audience. Yeah. Um, no, I don't do that. I, I'm, I'm more interested in, in the effect that I'm going to have. Um, and what I, what I really enjoy is when I get called back, so I, I think I've done a successful gig if I've worked with a client and then say, you know, we enjoy that so much, we want some more of that, or we'd like to explore that in more detail, or we'd like to come and talk about a slightly tangential topic. Right. And I, if I'm working with a – I do work with several multinational organizations, and that, that's what, I, what I, I'm very proud of doing, that they call me back every year to come and do some more stuff with them. And, I, and then what's really – successful is you start using the, the inclusive language, you start talking about we rather than you yeah. when you're with them and when you're on stage or when you're in a meeting with them. And I think that that for me is a
1: measure of, of very, very strong success. Right. So you've had a, you've had a varied career doing mm. many different things. What are some of the things that you wish you'd known earlier to help you achieve that success <laughs> that you're after? Great question. Um, and
0: I'll answer it in the way that many many people do in the communications world, and that is, I should have specialised a lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all, we all do. there's always the knowing smile when you <laughs> say that to people. Um, Specialisation doesn't mean you don't you only ever do one thing and nothing else. What it means is you know what you're best at. And I think if I'd have if I'd have sat down and thought, well, this is what I know, and this is the other thing, of course, this is what people will pay for. And that's really important. Unfortunately, am fortunate. I've never been in the position of thinking I've got this wonderful message to share. I wonder if people will pay for it. I've I've always focused on the value. Um, so I've always thought this this is what people value, and this is the bit of it that I enjoy doing. That's the sweet spot.
1: Right.
0: Um, other people approach it from different directions. So I, I, I wish I'd known that I should have specialised earlier. I'd also wish I'd known to get help earlier in terms of employing people. You know, I now I've now got some staff, not a huge staff, but. You know, various assistants that help me do things that, that do my accountancy and my invoicing and uh, do my diary management and all those sorts of things that I frankly can't be bothered to do and I'm not very good at. <laughs> and, you know, when you, when you start out, a lot of us become solo professionals to begin with and it's actually pretty hard work and it's counterproductive.
1: Yeah.
0: I should have invested earlier in, in getting a team around me.
1: Right. So what does the future hold for Ellen Stevens, media coach?
0: Hmm. Good question. Uh, I'm writing my next book, which I believe is my ninth, if I may say that. Fantastic. How many books you like, Not the how How big is your audience, how many books have you written? <laughs> how many books have you got? It's that discussion. Um, so I'm, I'm writing a book now on, on reputation management, which I should have done a while ago, and I was actually asked by a publisher to write that. So it's called Avoiding the Pins, uh, How Not to Burst Your Reputation Balloon. Fantastic. Because um, it's, it's all about the fact that your reputation can grow but one thing can can completely destroy it if you're not yeah. very careful. So it's it's how, how do you avoid that? And if you can't avoid it, how do you repair it? How do you fix it as quickly as possible? So I'm very focused on that. And what I'm doing at the moment is I'm interviewing people around the world, um, collecting material and case studies that I'm using to create the book. And I'm I, I'm not doing it quickly. I've been on it for a year. I'll be another year at least interviewing people mm-hmm. because I wanted to be a very thorough review. So so I'm focused on that. Um, I'm also do, I, I do a lot of volunteering stuff. I'm very fortunate that here in in London, where I live, there's lots of stuff you can do. I've just uh, volunteered in our old Olympic Park, um, so I I work in the park from time to time, sort of as a customer service person. It's really quite nice to go and serve the public uh, and find out what they want. Uh, I get involved in photography, and I I also help out some musicians as well. Okay, um, I've got a web radio show, just just like you your show i've got a, a show myself if in i interviewed somebody earlier on today for that a musician well. and i get involved in that so
1: basically i'm kind of pleasing myself a bit more than i used to yeah yeah great great and so you said before that you have um uh, a few people who work in your business are they yes. full-time employees are they subcontractors are they virtual assistants how do you how do you have that set up
0: uh one the one is a virtual assistant oh. uh, i don't have any full-time staff because yeah. um it, I don't actually need somebody full-time. So I've got an accountant. Uh, I've got three camera crew that I use yep. on a freelance basis, uh, a virtual, uh, two virtual assistants, um, and also some associates who help me out from time to time if, okay. if I need an assistant on a, on a particular gig. Um, so it's probably four, five, six, about six people okay. that I work with most time. Some of them I'm talking to every day. My virtual assistants I talk to every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they work on it a freelance basis, and they are they're incredibly good, and they save me a lot of time and stress
1: they're wonderful <laughs> and uh, does your daughter try and steal your camera crew to go off and create some movies <laughs> well she hasn't done so far but uh, you know she has kind
0: of just kind of hinted that she might want to get involved at some point i don't think she's going to take over the family business just yet
1: oh fair enough alan thank you so much for your time today if people want to get in touch with you and find out and maybe get some help with their reputation management or find out more about your services what's the best way to get in touch with you I'm very easy to find. My website is mediacoach.co.uk.
0: And if you look up Media Coach, just about anywhere on the web, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or else, you
1: will find me. Fantastic. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Get More Success Show. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. Getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can get more success.